Well, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> In just a moment, we'll read verses 2 to 12. Um, if, you, if you are a member, you would have gotten an email from me not too long ago letting you know of surgery on my foot that's upcoming. So apparently sitting down isn't helping me at all. Um, so the stool is there in case I think I would like to do that. But otherwise, I mean, honestly, I just prefer to, uh, to stand and to walk around. Uh, you know, that way I can just chase rabbits and not be so tied to, to, to the notes. Uh, it really was a great missions conference. If you weren't, uh, if you missed the email or weren't here at our uh, praise banquet last week, you might have missed that our, our goal for our offering of praise was $36,000 to do a number of things. And as of the end of the service last week, uh, the Lord through us provided $53,287, which is, uh, yeah, which is wonderful. And, um, and so I know more has come in, but I don't have all the totals for that, so we'll communicate that, probably not always verbally like this, but we'll communicate it through, through other means. Um, but it truly was great. I do like uh, those kinds of breaks, not breaks from preaching necessarily, but breaks to really focus on something like God's mission to the ends of the world and His heart for the nations. Uh, but I also like routine. I like getting up on Monday morning and knowing what's going to be preached on Sunday morning, well, at least knowing the text. And uh, so I, I am uh, a man of routine, and so I do like being back in uh, the routine. So, um, so it's good to be back in Matthew chapter 5. Let's read Matthew 5, verses 2 to 12. If you're using a pew Bible and you don't know how to navigate through it, it should be on page 809. And uh, right there under the large 5, you'll find a little 2, and that's where we're going to begin reading. This is what the Spirit says. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are, peace, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I'll reread verse 5 and then we'll pray. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we come to Your Word as those who need Your Word. You have created us not as independent 
creatures, but as dependent. You give us life and breath and everything. And if we are to understand you and understand ourselves truly and understand this world and understand what is wrong and understand the solution and understand what it means to live for you, then you must help us. And so we ask now for your help that by your Spirit you might teach us through these words of your Son. And we pray as we hear his words that we will love him and hear him and understand him and believe him and live in light of what he has said, what your word says. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Now back to the Sermon on the Mount, picking up where we left off in these Beatitudes, uh, where Jesus shows us what it means to be blessed, what it means to have a life that is enviable, what it means to have a soul that is flourishing, no matter the circumstances of life. Now, I said this a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again. These Beatitudes should not simply be taken individually. You just pick one up and you run off with it. They need to be taken as a whole. They are like a constellation in that. Each one shines with its truth, but they ought to be taken together as a whole because they create a whole picture. And in it, Jesus gives us a whole picture of what it means to be part of His kingdom, what it means to follow Him, what it means to be a Christian. Now, I don't know if you've seen these videos of uh, speed painters. You ever seen these videos of speed painters? They, they, they do these amazing portraits in like two, maybe three minutes. Now, as you watch them, it just looks like, well, me trying to paint a portrait. It looks like they're just making markings on uh, the, the canvas and hoping that it comes out right. I mean, you watch the thing and you think, do they even know what they're doing? Why am I even watching this video? It just looks like a big mess. I don't understand it at all. And they get done, and you're still not sure until they turn the canvas over because they were painting the whole thing upside down. And they turn the canvas over, and then the portrait strikes you. Then you see it. And that's like a lot of the things that Jesus says, isn't it? That's how it seems to us. It doesn't make sense. It looks upside down. So you're saying the greatest ones are the slaves, Jesus. You're saying that the way up is down. You're saying that the way to live is to die. This doesn't make any sense. And it's the same in the Beatitudes, isn't it? You see the word blessed and then you put alongside it poor in spirit. That's not the first thing you'd come up with. Those who mourn, probably not on my list. Those who are persecuted, not thinking that either. And you start to wonder, does Jesus actually know what he's talking about? But you see, friends, if we just keep looking at this with natural eyes, with earthly wisdom, that's all we'll ever see, and that's all we'll ever think. But when the Spirit of God comes along, do you know what the Spirit does? The Spirit turns the canvas over where it doesn't just look like a bunch of random statements anymore. Oh, that's what it is. Jesus wasn't trying to be confusing. 
He was trying to explain us life like we didn't understand, like we won't understand without him. Real life, spiritual life, a truly blessed life. And the need to have the canvas turned over just keeps on coming when you get to the third beatitude, doesn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, is this thing on? Am I saying it right? So we need to come to understand what it is that Jesus means here. What is, what is this? Well, first, what I want to give you is an explanation of meekness. Because we're not going to get very far if we don't get past that. And we need to begin with what it's not. What it's not. Because there are misunderstandings about meekness. I mean, some people will tell you that when you're talking about a meek person, you're talking about someone who is spineless who is spiritless, who's withdrawn, who's kind of like a wallflower that cowers before others, the very opposite of of what you would think of when it comes to boldness or firmness. In fact, the the, the English word meek is actually related to the Dutch word for overripe. You ever ever held an overripe apple in your hand or an overripe peach? You just put a little bit of pressure on it, and it just starts to implode, doesn't it? Well, that's what people say meekness is. It's like that. You just put a little bit of pressure on them and they fold. Because meekness is just like weakness. But that can't actually be what Jesus is saying. He can't be saying that. Because if for Jesus to be saying that, God would have to change his tune on other things that he said. When Joshua was about to lead the people into the promised land, does God come along and say, now what I want you to do is go in and cower before the enemies? No. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When Paul is talking to Timothy, he doesn't say, way to go on being afraid of people, Timothy. That's the way to go. No, he says, God hasn't given us a spirit of, to be timid, but one of power and love and self-control. And then when you get to the end of the Bible, it's very interesting. God says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will bless, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then he says, but as for the cowardly, which heads a whole list of people, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God doesn't reward shrinking back. He doesn't reward spinelessness. He doesn't reward welcome-mattedness. That's a, that's a new word. You can write that one down. It's going to be in the 2022 edition of Webster's Dictionary. Welcome-mattedness. If you need a definition, it's all right. Uh, you don't need a definition. You know what welcome-mattedness isn't, don't you? So it's not what it is. It's not being spineless. It's not being dispirited. It's not being run over. It's not laying yourself down as a welcome mat. It's not being frightened of everybody. It's not running around in fear of man. I mean, fear of man's a trap. So what is it? Well, let's get to that now. What it is. The Greek word is praus. All right? And I say that because, just so that it's up there, but it's not only translated meek. It's also translated as gentle and humble. 
Now, that's the case both in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. So, in Zephaniah 3, uh, this word describes God's true people in contrast to those who are proud, who lift themselves up. They're arrogant. They're self-important. In 1 Peter 3, you'll remember this. If you're, you may be familiar with the fact that Peter calls on Christians to make a defense for the faith. Now, this will take courage. This will take strength, especially because the context of 1 Peter is persecution. It's going to take guts to do that. But he says, do it with gentleness. This word. Don't be arrogant when you make your arguments. Don't become condescending when you're contending for the faith. Be gentle. Be meek. Paul tells Timothy that's how the Lord's servant should correct his opponents. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is talking about false teachers who are puffed up with conceit. And he talks about a whole host of other problems with these uh, fellows. And then he fi- after listing all the problems, he finally comes to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Don't be puffed up with conceit like those men. Don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. Don't think you're all that in a bag of Doritos. Be gentle. Be humble. Be meek. Now, this meekness, this gentleness, as you might guess, isn't natural. It's not a matter of uh, what some call personality type. It's not a matter of how you're wired. Uh, It's not a matter of anything like that. It's not natural at all. Naturally, we're actually very wrapped up in ourselves, aren't we? Whether whether that comes across as arrogance or whether it comes across as self-pity, we're very wrapped up in ourselves. We're very fond of ourselves. We like to promote ourselves. It doesn't come naturally. In fact, meekness only arrives on the scene through the work of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, in fact, Paul includes this in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. You know it, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There it is. Self-control. In the context of Galatians 5, which we won't turn to, Paul is telling these Christians that they need to walk by the Spirit. And this list of the fruit of the Spirit is, as it were, it tells them this is what it actually looks like to walk by the Spirit. It looks like love and joy and peace and the rest, and it looks like gentleness. So so meekness isn't for the deep Christians, okay? Meekness isn't for the super mature Christians. Meekness isn't for the next level Christians, whatever that means. Meekness is produced by the Spirit in every Christian. Every Christian. It's certainly true that we may grow in, these, in this fruit in different ways. 
We may grow in this fruit at different rates from one another, and even within the list, some things may flourish while others need to come along, right? But meekness isn't absent in the Christian. Someone will say, no, no, wait a second. I, 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 <laughs> I'm not wired to be gentle, all right? Mercy is not my spiritual gift. Well, let me just say, I know. And everyone else around you knows it too. We all know you're not wired for gentleness. But the reality is nobody is. And do you know the Holy Spirit's in the rewiring business? He changes people. He comes in and revolutionizes everything about us. So that we may have thought, we may have actually thought we were humble before we came to Christ, and then we realized how proud we were of our humility, how much we loved being recognized by other people for being gentle, how much behind the facade of being meek, we weren't meek at all. You see, meekness can actually be faked. It can only be faked for so long, but it can be faked. But Jesus isn't talking about blessed are those who appear meek in public, those who appear meek in a meeting, those who appear meek in their families, those who appear more meek than other people. He says, blessed are the meek. The meek will inherit the earth. So it's produced by the Spirit, and it follows right along from these first two Beatitudes. I mean, so once I really come to grips with the fact that I'm poor in spirit, that I am spiritually bankrupt, that I have nothing to offer God, that I have no bargaining chip, I have no leverage, I've got nothing, I am empty. And then I mourn the sin that has emptied me. I see the sin in myself, and I see sin in others, and I see that sin has ruined the world, and I see that actually I am my biggest problem in the world because of my sin. And I mourn it. And when I do that, as that progresses, do you know that what that produces in me by the Spirit's work? Meekness. All of a sudden, I don't see myself as so great. Because, look, God's not interested in us seeing ourselves as great or trying to trash ourselves. He wants us to see ourselves properly. That's part of what meekness is, is that we see ourselves rightly. We see that we're poor in spirit. We see why we should mourn. And so that truth makes us meek. It makes us meek before God. So meekness before God means that I submit to His providence. I humbly submit to His providence, especially when it comes to suffering entering my life. I bow my knee to the fact that His suffering is His plan for His glory and for my good, even with, when it is painful, and that it is often through suffering that my self-exalting, self-promoting, self-infatuation 
gets broken down. Apparently, I can't get myself out of this. Apparently, I don't have enough in me to do this. Apparently, I'm not good enough to just claw my way out of every situation and fix everything. It teaches me what Paul said it taught him in 2 Corinthians 1, which is not to rely on himself, but on the God who raises the dead. That's meekness. And it also makes me meek before others. John Stott defined meekness as a humble and gentle attitude to others which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. Now, it's important to think of it that way because it's not a humble and gentle attitude toward others based on our estimate of others. It's not based on the other person. It's not based on whether, they think I, whether I think they deserve my humility or my gentleness. It's just based on the fact that I know who I am. I know who I am before God. I know my poverty. I know my weakness. I know my emptiness. You see, one can actually be very strong spiritually and be meek. One can be entrusted with authority, whether that's uh, in the home or in, at work or in the church, and be meek. You see, meekness, what meekness does with that kind of authority is that it refuses to use it for its own gain. Meekness uses the authority that God entrusts to one for His glory and for the good of others, not for self. Meekness refuses to assert me. Meekness refuses to pursue my agenda, protect my interests, promote my way. Meekness considers others more important than me. And do you know, meekness sees that I am no different than the person who has sinned against me. Boy, wrap your mind around that one. Think about the way people sin against you. How many times have you been tempted to think, well, I'm not, I would never do that to somebody. I mean, come on, that's out of bounds right there. Meekness doesn't do that. Meekness says, I am no less sinful than that person is. We're on a level playing field here. Meekness doesn't ignore sin. Now, please hear that. Meekness never ignores sin. What meekness does is not pursue revenge for sin. doesn't get vengeful in response to sin. Uh, Paul, one of the few lines, I mean, I don't, I don't remember with great accuracy many quotes that I read in many books. I can summarize them for you. Sometimes they're not actually in the book that I think they're in, but I remember th some things. But in his book, uh, Instruments in the, in the Redeemer's Hands, Paul Tripp says that, that sinners tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. Sinners tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. So in any situation, even if you're trying to help a friend who's been sinned against, don't just think about the suffering that has come on them through that sin. Think about how they are responding to that. 
As you think about how you are responding, don't just think about all the suffering that's come on you. Think about, is this pride raising up in me as I'm harsh with that person, as I cut them off, as I go cold, as I refuse, as I see them needing help and I refuse to help? Meekness doesn't do that. Meekness sees that I'm no different than that person. I am as sinful as that person is. And so while not ignoring and not trying to find vengeance, meekness actually seeks forgiveness and restoration and wholeness of relationship. Now you can only do what you can do in some circumstances, can't you? But we're not responsible for how other people respond. We're responsible for what we do. Meek people, humble people, gentle people want restoration. They want what God wants. They know that that is actually what's best for the other person. And so they seek it. Not through manipulation. Not through harsh words. Through love. Gentleness. Loving, compassionate, courageous confrontation for the sake of God's glory in the other. Meekness is a humility, a gentleness, a graciousness produced by the Spirit that comes from knowing my sinfulness, knowing my unworthiness, and knowing God's grace and gentleness with me. He has been gentle with me What boundless love, what matchless grace you have shown us, O God of compassion. Each day we li- may each day we live be an offering of praise as we show to the world your compassion. In other words, the motivation for being gentle with others, the motivation is not anything other than God in Christ has been gentle with me. Well, that brings us to an example of meekness, an explanation of meekness, now an example of meekness. And there are a number we could look at. Numbers 12, if you want to do some homework this afternoon, is uh, Moses not defending himself against complaining against him. God takes up his case, and even when God takes up his case, he still prays for those that God takes up his case with. The Apostle Paul is an example of meekness, but we're going to go straight to the greatest example, the Lord Jesus himself. Now, of course, meek and gentle are not the only ways that Jesus is presented to us in the Bible. Not even with his followers. You remember when Peter tapped Jesus on the shoulder and said, Jesus, I think you're mistaken about this whole being turned over and being killed thing? What does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't pull him over into the preschool corner and say, now, now, that was a very nice try to think about my mission. I just want you to know you're just a little bit off. Let's try it again. Calls him Satan. Rebukes him in ways that no, Jesus doesn't rebuke anyone else that way. When you read the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, do you come away thinking, Oh, Jesus, meek and mild with his church. You don't. So, 
let's just make sure that when, as we talk about this, let's not think that meekness and gentleness and humility is the only way we ought to think about Jesus. But He is meek. He is gentle. He is humble. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, said this of him. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, friends, that's good news. When we're bruised by sin, when we're bruised by our suffering, and we come to Jesus for mercy, He doesn't look at us and say, Oh, no, it's them again. (sighs) And then say, I've had enough, and stomp us. He does not do that with those who come to Him for mercy. He shows mercy. He is compassionate. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not quench a smoldering wick. Richard Sibbs was a Puritan pastor and he wrote a a book called The Bruised Reed, a kind of book-length meditation on Isaiah 42. Here, where, where it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. And he writes this, Jesus is a meek king. He will admit mourners into his presence, a king of poor and afflicted persons. As he has beams of majesty, so he has a heart of mercy and compassion. As a mother is tenderest to the most diseased and weakest child, so does Christ most mercifully incline to the weakest. I wonder, dear Christian, if you have forgotten the meekness of your Savior. That He is not looking to zap you or to stamp you out. And that all who come to him for mercy find it. All who turn to him in faith will not be put away. Have you forgotten that when you cast yourself down before him that he lifts you up? And here's the thing. Jesus is so committed to his merciful mission. Do you know what he will do at times? He will look at us in our pride, in our self-promotion, and he will use the circumstances of life to bruise us so that we will bow before him. Because what is it that is best for your soul? What is best for your soul and what is best for my soul is to come to grips daily with the fact that we have nothing apart from Jesus Christ. And we are nothing. And we deserve only punishment. That's it. 
And the Lord God will mercifully bruise us in order to heal us. So that our eyes are open once again to the reality I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. You see, pride takes us from our Savior. But the bruising of life is meant to bring us to our Savior. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're not following Him, if you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting Him to save you, know this, that if you come to Jesus for mercy, you will find it. He will be meek with you as well. Your sin has bruised you and left you with no hope. It is a burden to your soul. It is a weight you can't lift. It is a debt you can't pay. It is a wound you can't heal. It is a debilitating disease that you cannot cure. And it leads to eternal death. But Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus died to take the burden of sin. He took it on the cross. The debt of sin has been paid. By His wounds, the Bible says, you can be healed and have eternal life. And if you come to Him by faith, you'll have a wonderful and a merciful Savior. You'll forgive your sin, and do you know what? It'll never be held against you again. Doesn't that drive you crazy when you think you've resolved something with somebody and they just bring it up later against you? Doesn't that drive you crazy? Doesn't you, let me tell you, it drives them crazy when you do it. So I know it drives you crazy when they do it. But when, G, when God says, I will forgive their sin and I will remember it no more, what it means is not that God has amnesia. It means that the sin that he knows very full and well that you did has been paid for in such a way by the Lord Jesus Christ that it will never be on the docket as an accusation against you ever again. That's good news. That's what humble, meek Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And if you don't know him, you can know him today. Would you turn to him today? Would you turn to him now before I even finish explaining this? Right now, in your heart, turn to him. And he will in no way cast you out. He is the example of meekness. But the third thing is the expectation of the meek. What is it that the meek should expect? Well, going back to Jesus' words, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek. So, in other words, the, the meek life is a life worth celebrating. 
The humble soul is a soul that is actually flourishing. But why? Why, Jesus? Why are the meek blessed? What makes them so blessed? What makes their life so enviable? What makes, how do you know that they're really flourishing? And Jesus answers with the last part of the verse. For they shall inherit the earth. Well, now we're getting to something enviable, aren't we? That sounds enviable. That sounds like something worth celebrating. That sounds like real flourishing there. Rudolf Steer put it like this, self-renunciation is the way to world domination. And you think about that and you just think, now wait a second. It's, just look around. It's the self-promoting ones. It's the cunning ones. It's the cutthroat ones. It's the ones that will run over anybody. They're the guys in power. They're the ones that get the promotion. They're the ones who have the prominence. I feel like I'm trying to be meek and I'm not inheriting anything here. But here Jesus says it's the meek ones, not the self-promoting ones. It's the gentle ones. It's the humble ones. It's the ones that actually stop and pick up the ones that the other guy ran over. These are the ones that will inherit the earth. Oh, you won't see them. They're allergic to the spotlight, really. They run around with quiet and gentle and humble souls, ministering grace to people, sharing Christ here, exemplifying Christ there. They're meek. You see, the way to inherit the earth is not through might, it's through meekness. Meekness. It's the same promise that was actually made back in Psalm 37. When you read that psalm, what you find is that the wicked are seeking to get their way. They're, they're fighting to take power. But you also learn that their time of getting their way and ruling over others will be cut short. So it says, In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The meek shall inherit the land. Now when you read the land in the Old Testament, you're thinking about that promise that God first made to Abraham that's carried on to his people of the land of a place to dwell. But as we learn, as the Bible goes on, we learn that this land is actually a pointer to something greater. And Jesus takes that promise in Psalm 37 and blows it up to its fullness in this statement. The meek will inherit the earth. Not just part of it. Not just a piece of it. Not just a little strip in the Middle East. They will inherit the whole thing. Now, that's really something. You'd never expect the meek to inherit that, would you? Two things about this promise. First, this reward. First, it's future. I mean, just the word inheritance, when we think about what an inheritance is, it implies waiting. It implies something that's going to happen in the future, not now. It also implies that in the future, it will not be that we have earned that inheritance, 
but that it will be given to us. It is received as a gift, not earned. And this waiting, this future, is when Jesus returns, when there is a new earth and He reigns and rules in it. The Bible tells us that we will rule with Him. So that Revelation 5 speaks of Jesus saying, By your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. They shall in the future. But not only does that word shall point us to the future, the second thing to know is that it points to certainty. They shall inherit the earth. There is no might. There is no maybe. There is no possibly. It's just not, it's not one of a number of outcomes of world history. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Luke 14, Jesus says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted will be exalted, will be exalted. We look around us and the uncertainties of our world dominate. They dominate news stories. They dominate conversations. They dominate uh, elections. They dominate uh, all kinds of things, don't they? But the Christian walks through an uncertain world with the certainties of what God says. And no matter the fights and the clamoring for power now, no matter how it shifts, no matter how it goes the way we think we ought to go, uh, and then it goes the way we don't think it ought to go, and it seems to go back and forth, and it seems to go up and down, and it seems to be all around, it doesn't see any, nothing seems to be working right. And, and then Jesus comes along and says, they shall inherit the earth. That's what we must cling to. Not our exaltation so much as the certainty of God's conclusion to His universe. It shall come to pass. You want a life that's rewarded by God? You want a life that looks forward to that future with certainty? You want a life marked by that blessing? You want a blessed life that the circumstances of life can't touch? You want a blessing that the circumstances of life can't diminish? You want a blessed blessed life that the circumstances around you can't take? You want a life that's enviable? You want a life that's worth celebrating? You want a life that flourishes? Well, then don't bother whether the world or your friends or anyone else thinks you're flourishing. Ask yourself this. In the eyes of Jesus Christ who said this, is my life flourishing? Pursue meekness, gentleness, humility. Do you know how odd a people we would be if we did? 
how odd we would be in our society. How odd you would be in your family, at your family reunion, to not seek yourself, to not make sure you get the last word, to not make sure you're in the limelight. to be gentle and to be humble. Don't take your cue from culture. Don't, 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 don't applaud yourself. Don't focus on yourself. Don't protect yourself. Don't promote yourself. Don't put yourself first. Don't serve yourself. Look at the gentleness that God has had with you in your sin and in your weakness through Jesus Christ. And then be gentle with others. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, There is probably no more beautiful quality in a Christian than meekness. It enhances manliness. It adorns femininity. It is a jewel polished by grace. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray now that this most beautiful quality of meekness would be one that you, by your Spirit, would produce and grow in us. We pray that you will help us to be meek before you, submitting to your ways, your providence, even when that is painful for us, so that our self-reliance might be torn down and we might grow in faith and meekness. Cause us to be meek before others, humbling ourselves, being gentle, as Jesus has been gentle with us. Lord, I pray for those who are bruised reeds even this morning through their own sin or through the sufferings of life. I pray that you will strengthen their faith that they might cast themselves on the mercy of their Savior and find their help and grace in their time of need. Pray for those who don't know Jesus, who have thought of Jesus as one who is prepared to condemn, prepared to put them away. And I pray, God, in them that you would awaken the truth of the gentleness and meekness of Jesus. And that by your grace, you would open their eyes to see him as a wonderful and merciful Savior and that they will come running to him. Make us meek for your glory and for the good of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.